Hi everyone, now before I get this episode started, you will hear me say this a couple more times. This episode was recorded on the 13th of January, 2020, the same day that Bayern lost to Holstein Kiel and got knocked out of the DFB Pokal, but I say this because uh, we talk a lot about the table. The table positions have changed, you will hear me say that a couple of times in this episode, but again, I want you to know that the current standing of the table is not reflected in this episode, but most of the people, most of the clubs that I talk about are still kind of kicking around in that same area. So with all of that being said, enjoy the show. Hello, everybody, and welcome to this special edition of the Bavarian Podcast Works show. It is our first interview in a very long time, and I can't think of anybody better to be doing this interview with. This will be similar to a segment that we did around the start of the new year in 2020, where we took a look at all of the teams in the Hinrunda, though with a disclaimer... This is about two match days before the Hinrunde ends. It is the 13th of January. It is a Wednesday. But nevertheless, we will plow forward. I am joined by a man who is a sideline reporter for ESPN. You can catch him both on Bundesliga match day coverage, but also on ESPN FC in the United States. I am joined from Germany by Archie Ryan How are you doing today, Archie? Hey, Jake. I'm I'm doing very well. It's a little bit cold over here, as it should be around about this time of year. But yeah, the the only thing to keep you warm during lockdown right now is is football and and watching it. So. Yeah, I'm, 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 I'm doing all right because of that. That's that's excellent. That's good to hear. So for those that listened to the last episode, you know that we went in-depth with about every single team, and that is not going to be the case this time. We have clumped a couple of teams together, and then we will take a in-depth look at the top five, really. So let's start off at the bottom of the table. From 15 down to 18, it looks like this. It looks like Arminia Bielefeld, FC Köln, uh, FC Schalke, and then Mainz. Um, For at least three of these teams, we figured that they would struggle, right? Köln have been kind of flirting with relegation for the last couple of seasons after recently getting promoted from the Zweite Bundesliga. Uh, Mainz have been doing the same thing. In fact, it's a little bit surprising that they haven't gone down at this point. Bielefeld just got promoted, though we did figure that it would be a tough time. But one team we will ask a couple more questions about, and that is Schalke. I don't think anyone expected for Schalke to be as poor as they have been so far this season. But let's just start off with this simple with this simple starter question of these four teams which one do you think is i'm i'm gonna try and phrase this as not as cruel but i guess most deserving of being relegated like which team do you look at them and say oh yeah they were probably going to go down from the beginning. Well, to be honest, the favourites for for being relegated is the one team that are not in the relegation zone right now, and that's Armenia Bielefeld. So it is an indictment on the three sides 
below them, FC Köln, Schalke and Mainz, that Bielefeld find themselves above them and with the same amount of wins as Köln, Schalke and Mainz put together so far this season. I think that Mainz were already in a sticky situation coming into this season. I saw them away at Dortmund towards the end of last season and whilst they were able to cobble together a run that eventually saw them to safety, we already knew that there were problems there and I think that the way that they've performed has not been all that surprising this season. How well Bo Svensson can do now in pulling them out since taking charge, what what with the reorganisation there as well up top with Martin Schmidt coming back as sporting director and Christian Heidel as, as chairman, I'm I'm not too sure. I'm not I just don't believe that there's the quality in that squad for them to get out of trouble. But I think that all three sides uh, in in the relegation playoff spot and the two automatic relegation spots, they're they're very much there on merit and and obviously not in the in the good sense. So that Schalke finally broke their winning duck uh, last weekend. I th- yes, there was an element of, of them needing a bit of luck to get out of that situation and, and not having had that at all in, in the last year. But I think that they're going to be better in the second half of the season than they have been, mainly because they can't get much worse. But also there have been positive signs in, in the kind of football that they've been playing under Christian Gross. As for Cologne, I've seen I've seen a fair amount of them. And, and the thing that speaks most of the, most about them for me is that in the two games that they have won against Borussia Dortmund and against Mainz, for them to win those games, it's required their opponent's best goal scorer in the 94th minute to miss a near-open goal. And you're not going to win many games if you're relying on that kind of luck every week. So, to be honest, the way I see things going, I would suspect that Cologne and Mainz will be... Uh, in the bottom three come the end of the season, I would expect Armenia Bielefeld to drop one place further down as well. And I wouldn't be surprised, given the quality that Schalke have in their squad, uh, and particularly with the returning Sayer Kolosinac, if Schalke were to go on and scrape their way to safety. I'll I'll hit on that a little bit, right? Kolosinac wasn't that fantastic at Arsenal but he did perform very well at Schalke before he left for North London. Do you really think that the acquisition of one player is going to save their entire season after almost like flirting with the idea of beating Tasmania Berlin's record? Momentum is something that we talk about a lot in football, and Sead Kolosinac brings so much with him, not just on the pitch, I think, and yeah, you're right, he didn't have the greatest time in the Premier League, but it's not like he was the one reason that was holding back Arsenal. I think that Kolosinac has brought a mentality into Schalke that you see with what he was saying at the weekend, saying that uh, he was glad to go into the dressing room and see that everybody's white shorts were dirty. That's the sort of commitment that they need. And the fact that he's given the captain's armband immediately says what kind of a character he is and what Schalke have been lacking in that dressing room. And and that is a big and that has been a big problem. I think he can he can help them. And they're not far away. It, it, you don't have to string that many results together at the bottom to uh, to to get out of, of trouble. And I, I really do think that along with if if an 
if another few signings are made this January, I think that Schalke can pull clear. One final question for the bottom four. You are right. The points are very close. 15th Armenia have 13 points and last place Mainz have six. So it's not like it would require Schalke with seven points to stage an insurmountable comeback at this point. But I want to deal in a hypothetical a little bit, if you will. Okay. If Schalke go down, right, they are in need of a new manager. There have been a number of names floated around. uh, And I have a theory that regardless of the team, regardless of the history that Schalke have, that few coaches who Schalke would basically demand to coach them, right? Like a top-flight coach. Mm-hmm. They don't want a Zweite Liga coach unless they're incredibly successful to come up and help them. Like, I'll th- throw Ranić out there as an example. Do you think if Schalke go down that a manager like Ralf Ranić would not want to coach them solely because they are in the second division? Or do you think that a name like Schalke will get a good coaching hire regardless of what division they are in. I think we're a long way from that. But what I would say is that for Ralph Rangnick to come in, there would need to be funds at Schalke, which there are currently not. And there'd also need to be a willingness from the club to give over more power uh, that is currently held in the sporting director role by Jochen Schneider for Rangnick to have his say in, in recruitment. And that's that for me would be the stumbling block. It, it's not just about would somebody come in and, and work there. I think he would he would be he he he'd do well at, at most uh, at, at most clubs r- r- right now. And uh, I know that and I've I've seen reported by by Sportbild over here that uh, he's been a name mentioned in connection with Hertha Berlin, which is not a surprise given the funds that they have at their disposal. That way you're able to implement the kind of strategy that Ralph Rangnick wants to. But uh, it's 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 difficult to say whether whether I see somebody coming in at, at Schalke because it's it, it's a really tricky job. <laughs> and and uh, who knows? Who 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 knows what will happen? Uh, should should they go down? The, the the prospect of 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 them being in a relegation playoff against Falfeld Bochum is 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 a mouth watering prospect. Uh, you'd hope that there would at least be fans in the stadium for a game like that, but it's it's difficult to predict who would who would be the coach should they go down. I think that's a great pivot point talking about Ranić to Hertha because Hertha are in the next group of teams that we are going to look at from 10 to 14, the mid-table sides, if you will. Uh, Stuttgart in 10th, Augsburg in 11th, Hertha in 12th, Werder Bremen in 13th, and Hoffenheim in 14th. You mentioned Ranić as an option for Hertha. Do you think that they would want to go with somebody like that for their squad, or do you think that they would want to look at somebody who has a proven track record with younger players, like Jesse Marsh, for example, from Salzburg, because this Hertha side is a 
relatively young side still. They still have a lot of names that probably need a little more development, and I'm curious to see if you think that Ranić would be an ideal fit for Hertha's current situation. I think more investment would be required, and one thing that is maybe overlooked a little bit is are the characters that left the club in the summer along the lines of Persilian Shelbred, Salomon Kalou, and Veda Debisevic. These were key players in their in their dressing room. And for for for, for her to, to to now build, okay, they have spent a lot of money and I was expecting a lot more from them this season. They are undoubtedly the biggest disappointment uh, after Schalke uh, in, in, in the division so far. But there's certainly there's certainly players with enough aggression, physicality, and and intensity to to be able to put into practice what Ralph Rangnick would want. I think it's it's just a question of will Bruno Labbadia still be in charge? The, the thing the thing that I keep thinking about is should Bruno Labbadia go? And and there's been no. Uh, word from Michel Pretz, uh towards the top of the club that he will he will let him go. In fact, he's he's given him his backing recently. Um, it sh- should he go, the best person to get them out of that situation who's most likely to come to the club is sadly Bruno Labbadia. So in, in a way, they probably have the best man in place for that right now. And whilst whilst this season has, has been a disappointment, I think that they've... They've at times played played some good football, but it's just the amount that has been spent on that squad. And you look at how much, for example, Christoph Piontek cost twenty four million euros, and he's your your reserve backup striker. It, it doesn't seem that everything is quite clicked into place yet. From from what Bruno Labbadia was saying just after the start of the season, they didn't get the signings that they wanted to because of a, a, a delay in the payment, even uh, from from their investor from Tenor. Uh, Lars Windhorst. So everything is not quite working out there yet. And I think the performance that they gave away at Armenia Bielefeld at the weekend was a very worrying one as well. So looking at these teams 10 through 14, again, mm-hmm. Stuttgart, Augsburg, Hertha, Werder Bremen, and Hoffenheim. Which one has surprised you the most? Not necessarily in terms of being good, but maybe in terms of a team that you expected to be doing a lot better than just lower mid-table this season. It would it would be Hertha on that level. I think Augsburg are exactly where I would have expected them. Just, just knocking above expectations a little bit. Uh, but... I think Heiko Hellish was brought in for for them to be hitting hitting the top half. So let's see how how they go this season. As for as for Werder Bremen, losing Davy Klaassen in in the summer, he he was an important player for them, and the fact that he's only been able to be replaced internally, I think for, for Werder the most important thing is that they're not in as perilous a position as they were last season. Improvement is, of course, expected, but I, I for, apart from apart from the win against Schalke, which I saw earlier in earlier this season, I've not seen too much of them live. But what I have caught of them, they've they've underwhelmed again, and I think that 
they're probably about where I would have expected them in the table. Maybe a bit more from Hoffenheim, but they've been making more of an attack on, on the Europa League than they have in previous seasons. That that will have taken something out of them. And also they've had uh, some really bad situations with how they've been affected with the coronavirus as well. That is that is something which is difficult to measure uh, on in, in terms of an impact that they've had. New coach as well. In Sebastian Hernes, uh, trying to improve the way that they played. And I didn't think that they were playing all that badly under Alfred Schroeder. I thought they were a, a perfectly decent side. And they're maybe a victim of, of their own success under Julian Nagelsmann and how that changed the expectations of the club as well. So Hoffenheim, I'd say, are a little bit further down than I might have expected, but the biggest surprise package in there uh, is is not in the vein that you asked the question and that Stuttgart because I really didn't have them down to be doing as well as they have and and particularly as a newly promoted side coming up and playing the kind of positive football that they have is is not easy Stuttgart have tried to do it before uh they've they've tried to change their style of play uh, in, in the Bundesliga, I remember under Alexander Zorniger, they tried to play an ambitious way and it went really badly wrong. But this Stuttgart side look look bright, not not put off when things don't go right for them. I remember them losing on the opening day against Freiburg and thinking they've still played really well. And to, at, even at an early point in the season, you look at certain results and, and performances and think this does not look good. But they've... They've been a, a fantastic addition to the league and particularly the performances against against Borussia Dortmund. But also, I, I was in the stadium to see them play Bayern. They were they were aggressive and and were courageous. I'm really impressed with uh, Wataru Endo in, in the middle of, of their midfield as well. He I don't know where they found him, but he he will probably go on to another club in the summer. But... Yeah, Stuttgart have been a lot of fun to watch. Looking at the managers for each of these clubs, right? Just a quick rundown. You got Pellegrino Matarazzo of the United States at Stuttgart, uh, Herlich, as you mentioned, at Augsburg, Labadia, as you mentioned, at Hertha, Florian Kohfeldt at Werder Bremen, and as you mentioned as well, Sebastian Hornus at Hoffenheim. Do you believe that any of them might be replaced in the summer? As we, as you mentioned, Hoffenheim have been trying to do better in the Europa League than they have been focused on the Bundesliga, but 14th is probably not where anyone expected Hoffenheim to be at this point. Do you think that any of the managers' performances, I guess outside of Labadia, just because we've talked about Labadia a little bit, do you think any of them might be sitting on a hot seat right now? I always think that Augsburg will be happy with their coach's performance and then they usually go and sack them. So I, I, I'm not privy to, to knowing how well, uh, how happy Augsburg are with their, with, with, with Heiko Herrlich right now because I'd say 11th, as long as you're keeping them in the Bundesliga, that's a good job. And also, it, it's a really difficult challenge if you are an Augsburg, a Mainz, a Freiburg of this world, who have been in the division for a long time and on, on a longer run uh, in the cases of uh, Augsburg and Mainz and Freiburg, who had that one relegation uh, under Christian Streich. 
it's really difficult to try and keep the magic of staying in the division as, as being this big challenge that everybody relishes facing. And I remember speaking to a director at uh, at a big traditional German club who who was saying that part of the problem is 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 getting enough fans through the door at, at these clubs because younger fans these days, when they're watching football on the telly, they see all these world stars and are you going to be able to persuade them to to come down and, and watch a game at, say, Augsburg or Mainz and, and see a sloppy first touch and be as tolerant as that. The standards have been raised in terms of the spectacle. And it's more about the spectacle and, and the entertainment than it used to be instead of the community, I think. And and, and that's in a country where I, I'd say that it's still about going and supporting your side regardless of, of how good the football is. Uh, I can say that with with some confidence being in Cologne right now. Um, but I think that uh, if just to, just to circle back to your original question, su- such have been the constraints on Werder Bremen uh, and Florian Kohfeldt. Keeping them up is, is going to be enough. I think he, he might be given more time still, even, even if... He's his uh, his the way that he's viewed in Germany is is not quite as 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 well as it was before. Uh, but yeah, Hoffenheim have a budget which is within the top half of the table. Sebastian Hörners will be under pressure, I would say, and and should Hertha not end up finishing in the top half, I'd, I'd certainly say that Bruno Labbadia will also be under pressure as well. I didn't have this written down, but I want to talk about that point that you brought up about fans and how mm-hmm. uh, how that's being seen, at least in Germany. In the United States, you often find fans of uh, the club that I do this podcast for under fire from people that just believe that all they do is watch the Champions League and they don't watch things like the Pokal or anything like that. And I find that interesting that that's something similar going on in Germany. But I have this question in mind because I I firmly believe that Germany is probably the best fan culture for football in the world. Mm -hmm. Do you think that that is an issue that you are seeing throughout all of Germany? Or do you think that is just from something in the top flight? Like are Zweite Bundesliga fans more passionate about their support for their clubs because they aren't in the Bundesliga? I don't know. It's difficult to measure something like passion because you you have already this idea in, in German football of your traditional clubs and then you have, in inverted commas, your, your plastic clubs uh, who are owned by companies such as uh, such as Wolfsburg, Leverkusen, Hoffenheim, and it's always said that the most passionate support can be found if you go to the if you go to the traditional clubs. And I have to say, in terms of atmosphere, that theory bears out from from everything I've experienced. If you go to Union Berlin, even in these times of lockdown games, you still get an atmosphere, even with there being no fans inside the stadium, because they're all standing outside or indeed lighting fireworks as the team bus arrives, uh, as was the case against Bayern. So it's it's such a big topic. Uh, 
it's 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 such a big topic. I find it difficult to say that um, certain certain clubs uh, of 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 the traditional clubs are are more passionate just as a as a natural cause. I I, I think that in Cologne they are naturally a crazier, and uh, every club has its own characteristics. You see in Cologne how one win will be celebrated like winning a league title. How how with Borussia Mönchengladbach they they kind of laugh at that mentality and are a little bit cooler so each each fan scene has its own has its own characteristics but i think that there is an there are overarching themes that still uh that still hit every bundesliga club and and i think that that uh drive for people's attention and and trying to get hold of people's attention and, and make sure that their stadiums are full every week. That's that's obviously going to be more of a challenge if you're Hertha and you're a side attraction in in a capital city. Uh, unlike say, if you are Freiburg, where you are the city, you are you are the main attraction. So, but it it, it still varies from from club to club. You still see empty seats at Augsburg against Hoffenheim. So it, it it depends on who clubs are playing against. It's a there's a lot of factors going into that. That's a good point. Thank you for that. Now we're gonna move on to the teams in sixth position all the way down to ninth position. Really, the teams that have shown at least in the first half the most fight to try and make a European spot, whether that be through qualification or through actually qualifying for the Europa League. Uh, from 6 through 9, they are Wolfsburg, uh, Borussia Mönchengladbach, uh, Freiburg, and Eintracht Frankfurt. Uh, and now we're going to try to get into a bit of the resumes more. So Wolfsburg don't really have a key win. Their biggest win so far was a 5-3 drubbing of Werder Bremen. Uh, they've basically almost drawn their way into sixth position. They have a lot of draws this year. They have a fantastic <laughs> amount of draws. They have seven so far. It's not as many as Eintracht, who have eight, and that is the most draws of any team in the league, but Wolfsburg have basically gotten to that same spot in basically the same manner. Uh, Borussia Mönchengladbach, they've been, I'd say, pretty good good i'd say their position kind of betrays how good they've been so far this season uh a win over uh bayern munich a win over rb leipzig but they lost to hoffenheim and they currently have a plus four goal difference scoring 28 but conceding 24 and that's the same goal difference that team number eight freiburg have they have a six five and four record they lost to dortmund but after going no wins one draw and three losses throughout the entire month of november they've rattled off a five and no winning streak they've been fantastic in that area they've shot all the way up to eighth in the table and then finally we look at frankfurt a win over Bayer leverkusen and then with the exception of a five nothing loss to Bayern, they've drawn everybody else in the top four so i guess the real question to ask about these four teams is that taking a look at the top five like the teams in the top five a couple of them 
haven't always been in this position before. They are liable to slip a little bit. In fact, Wolfsburg is tied with the team in fifth on points and only behind by six on goal difference. Do you think more than one of these teams could be looking at Europa League automatic qualification or qualifying for the Europa League? What if this season uh, was to revert back to, say, pre-season expectations, then you would expect you'd expect Freiburg and, and Frankfurt to, to drop off a bit from from Gladbach and Wolfsburg. But you look at the move that Frankfurt are making in the market now, in the transfer market with Luka Jovic uh, on the cusp of, of rejoining the club. That's going to be a really interesting move, particularly because I remember a conversation I had with uh, with their centre-back Martin Hinteregger uh, in an interview after a game against Wolfsburg. It was on a Friday night where they'd been 1-0 up and they'd lost 2-1. And he was openly bemoaning uh, the lack of of pace, the lack of speed that they had in, in the team going forward. And now that Bastos has gone, whilst his finishing qualities are there for everyone to see, Armin Yunus being there going forward has, has opened up more time and more space for them. He has that necessary speed. Luka Jovic coming back would also add to that. I'm not sure... I can see a, a team where it's Yunus, Jovic and Silva. I think Jovic and Silva are similar kind of players, if not Jovic a little bit quicker. But I, I think that they're going to be a side still to watch in, in, in the coming weeks. The fact that they've lost so few games this season shows you that there is a certain resilience to them. And, and there's still some... There's still some growth uh, to be done there from from certain players on that side. I'd like to see a little bit more from from Gibral Sol in, in in the coming in the coming second half of the season. Um, as for Freiburg, since they changed their formation uh, to a five four one, they've on top of this this five game winning streak, they they're actually seven games unbeaten in the Bundesliga. That that's really changed their season. But Freiburg will you'll always tip them to finish. Near near the bottom four, because you look at the squad and you look at the players who they lose before each season. Robin Koch this time, for example, Luca Valschmidt, and you think, well, Freiburg a toast, and then somehow they they dig their way out of trouble. They make these uh, they, they make these signings of players that you've not really heard too much of before, like Demirovic, for example, who's really starting to play well, and Santa Maria is 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 another. One of the assists of the season, only behind, I think, Robert Lewandowski's Rabona on on the opening match day. Uh, so yeah, Fre- the, whilst Freiburg always want more than than just staying up, I think that that they continually settle themselves in uh, in in the midfield of the table in in mid table is is still a really good achievement. To come on to what you were saying about Wolfsburg uh, and and Borussia Mönchengladbach, firstly. Gladbach really lacked uh, having Rami Benzabaini and Jonas Hoffmann in, in their side in, in the past few weeks. And, and that is shown by the fact that they were only able to win one of their six Bundesliga games without them. Benzabaini, though, particularly as somebody who is able to really embody what Marco Rosa wants in terms of the aggression, in terms of 
being able to get on your opponent's heels as soon as they have the ball. And Oscar Vent has been one of the best fullbacks in the Bundesliga over the last decade, I'd say, in terms of his consistency and what he's brought. But he does not have the same physical attributes and almost the same naivety that Rami Benzabaini has because Benzabaini can go into challenges with a certain naivety because he knows that he's quicker than opponents. And Vent doesn't have that. And that's a really important quality if you're trying to pressure opponents. Hoffman, they've lacked for his runs in behind, for his creativity. And I think that actually they've they've been really missed a lot more. Gladbach have disappointed in, in phases this season, probably more than you, than you said, in, in my opinion. Uh, they have lost 16 points from winning positions, which is a lot. And according to Marco Rosa, they've not run enough as well. There was a, a report in the German media that Marco Rosa had said to the players uh, after New Year that they needed to be putting in, in the yards more. And they've done that so far against Bielefeld and then most spectacularly against Bayern. I think that they will continue looking up the table. They will be challenging again for that final Champions League spot. As for Wolfsburg, I think that they're having a perfectly respectable season. This is where you would expect them to be knocking around. Been really impressed with the leap that Ridley Baku has made since since joining from Mainz. He is the best German right back out there right now. If if Euro 2021 was starting tomorrow, he'd be in my starting eleven. But then again, uh, I, I wouldn't necessarily trust my opinion uh, of, of picking the German national team because I think that's a, uh, I think that's a big, uh, uh, that's a big Baustelle, as they would say over here. That's a big work in progress. Uh, but I would take your opinions on the German national team <laughs> and your selections of the German national team over the current coach of the German national team. <laughs> well, but that's see. just me saying that. You can keep going. <laughs> He has one more. He has one more World Cup winners medal than I do, though. Uh, uh, j- just to mention as well, Wout Weghorst. Uh, that even after scoring a lot of goals in in the last few seasons in the Bundesliga, that he was able to go away and work on himself. He he found a mental coach in the summer to try and help just let things go a little bit more. And and you've seen that that calmness in front of goal. That five game run he went on. Uh, where he he scored in in each of them, uh, I I wonder how much longer Wolfsburg are able to keep him at the club. But being also very impressed with John Anthony Brooks at the back there, he's had a wobbly few seasons at, at Wolfsburg, and you've wondered when is he going to be able to untap some of this potential that you saw at, at Hertha. But he's been, I'd say, the steadiest presence at at the back there for them uh, in in terms of their centre-backs that they've had. So whilst they may not be the most entertaining side all of the time, I think that they are actually a team who are able to cause trouble, particularly with Zava Schlager's uh, balls in behind. I've, I've been impressed with the uh, with the impulses that, that he's given when, when I've seen him. So yeah, Wolfsburg very much on the money for where you would expect them to be, I think. Has anybody impressed you or disappointed you i guess in their form because i have i have this weird feeling that like six through nine is one of those spots where either you're doing a lot better than you thought or 
you really need to reset and put your pieces together to really challenge for a European spot. Has any of the have any of the teams really shouted either of those feelings out to you? The difficulty is with with these clubs, with with Freiburg in particular, when you are losing your best players every summer. The question is, how do you continually rebuild? That Freiburg at eighth and are the only team across Europe's top five divisions to have won their last five games is is a remarkable achievement. One that may not be going all that much longer when their next game is is Bayern away now. Let's see, Bayern are not in, in the best form uh, that they've been over the last year right now. That That's for, that's for certain. I think, actually, the, the team I'd expected a little bit more from this season were Gladbach. And I, I hark back to that statistic of 16 points dropped uh, so far. I think that they they struggled to find their rhythm early on in the season and they've been a little bit more inconsistent. And I'd actually expected more because they've done the opposite of Freiburg because they have the financial means to do so, which is they've kept all of their star players from last season. Nobody left in the summer. So I thought that that would that would lead to them maybe knocking on a little bit higher up the table have at least six six more points or so uh, than than they do have now uh, and and be in the mix for this this title race but football doesn't always work like it like it does on paper and i think that those performances that they gave in in the champions league particularly uh, away at inter and, and real would have taken a lot out of them emotionally as well uh, so, so yeah, I'd 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 be quite relaxed in in terms of looking at, at those clubs. Eintracht Frankfurt have been un, under a lot of pressure financially, or more uh, uh, more pressure than they might have expected to be because of uh, the the COVID nineteen crisis, and that that applies it across the league. But for them to to be in top half, knocking on a European place is a is a good performance. I think that's a great place to stop talking about them. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we will go more in-depth into the top five teams in the table so far. Stick with us. And we are back now. We are going to start from the bottom and then move up to the top. Again, I will reiterate, this was recorded... On January 13th, this was not recorded after the Rukrunda was done, so there might be some different position changes <laughs> in the table between now and then. So if Union Berlin are not in fifth anymore, do not be mad at me. I told you in advance what this was going to look like. So Union Berlin currently sit in fifth. They lost their biggest game of the year, arguably, the Berlin Derby. They won over uh, Borussia Dortmund. They drew to Bayern Munich. They closed the Rückrunde against RB Leipzig and uh, Bayer Leverkusen. And both by the time we put out this episode, both of those games will have been played. But... If they lost both of those games, 
hypothetically if in the future they lose both of those games. Do you believe that there is still a way for this Union team to find their way into the top five of the table? They're in a position where that that will still be possible. And that's incredible given that they are on a budget which is, in terms of what they pay their players, uh, less than 10 times what, what Bayern are, are paying theirs. The, the fact that they're within eight points of them after 15 games at the top of the table is a remarkable achievement because of of where they've come from, the, the style of football that they're playing and that they've evolved uh, from, from playing last season, which was more of, of sticking men behind the ball and, and being solid and, and seeing what they could get on the break. And whilst... They're still, I'd say, a, mainly a counter-attacking team. They can also punish you uh, just just through playing through you in a as as the team who's who's having more of the ball as well. I, I was at their game against Bayern, as I was mentioning earlier, and and some of the football they were playing just in in their own half uh, was was astounding, given uh, given the resources that are at Urs Fischer's disposal. So I've been that they are without a doubt the surprise package of, of the season. And I'm just excited to see what what happens next uh, in in this rather fairy tale like story. Are I love seeing traditional East German teams doing well in the Bundesliga, but mm-hmm. are they the most surprising team to you this year? seeing them in this position absolutely because there's there's always this this stigma that in your second season after being promoted life gets a little bit tougher and because the, the idea is that you've you've been found out at this point and it's difficult to replicate the same energy that you were able to attack the first season with. You see it in the Premier League right now with uh, with Sheffield United. Uh, the fact that they're not into double figures yet this season would 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 vindicate that that particular theory, for example. But what Union have done really well was to put fresh blood in into the team and bring quality that they didn't have before. Even though he's been out injured for a while and, and won't be back until February. Max Cruiser has been a fantastic signing for them. And also some of the other business that they've done, it's it's not cost them anything in terms of transfer fees. That they've been able to get Max Cruiser, Robin Knocher, uh, who whilst has, he's been outshone, I would say, by Marvin Friedrich next to him in, in the centre of defence, he's still been uh, an assured presence for them. And... and I'd say been playing better than he had done uh, in his in his final years at Wolfsburg when he was able to get on the pitch. Uh, Taiwo Awoni, okay, he doesn't sink every chance that comes his way in Robert Lewandowski fashion, but he he's able to make the runs in behind. He's able to get into those cha- in, into those positions uh, for chances in the first place, and and you see what uh, what a presence he is going forward for them as well. So I think that mixture of smart signings, a coach who has the respect of his squad, and it was, he he undoubtedly took a step down to go to Union from the job he'd been doing at FC Basel in in Switzerland. But 
he will now, I think, has to be considered for the next time that a job opens up. The question is, will he have the glamorous reputation, the glamorous style of football that uh, that will be wanted at, at a certain club? To be honest, thinking about the way, just thinking out loud here, I think he'd be a, a good name for Schalke to consider uh, if if they were to stay up in the Bundesliga and whilst Christian Gross has a contract, I believe, which is longer than to the end of this season, I think that he would... I, there's a similar mentality at Union as there is to one at Schalke in terms of the fans and, and what it's expected. And I think that he, he would embody that quite well. Uh, and he knows that whilst everybody wants to play good attacking football these days, that, that Union have actually found a balance this season has, has been the most surprising thing for me. So now... I'm going to move on to the team in fourth place. Uh, We are looking at Borussia Dortmund. Um, They have a current record of 9-1-5, 28 points, a 31-19 goal difference, which gives him a plus 12 uh, goal difference, a 31-19 goal ratio, if you will. Um, Lost to Bayern Munich. Mm Mm-hmm. 5-1 beat uh, Wolfsburg. They lost recently 3-1 to RB Leipzig and lost as well to Union Berlin. And that led to arguably the most important thing that happened to this Dortmund team this year. It led to the firing of Lucien Favre. They are currently coached by an interim manager named Aiden Terzic. Um... I guess the first question that I really have to ask about Dortmund is that who do you believe uh, will be their next manager or do you think that they even need to look for another manager considering Terzic has done so far markedly better than uh, Lucien Favre did so far this season? It's too early to say if Edin Terzic is... Is, is the right man. He has the respect of the squad, certainly more than Lucien Favre did. You could hear that by just just the way that players have, have been speaking. It feels like there's an outpouring of relief that they have somebody who at least matches their ambitions in, in how they want to play. I still I still think Dortmund will will leave it a month or two before making a, a firmer step towards who, who will be their next coach. The best candidates out there for them right now are Julian Nagelsmann and Marco Rosa, in 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 my opinion. I think that Rosa could probably do with even a year more at, at Borussia Mönchengladbach, but such is such is the way things go. Uh with this the, the speed that, that things move at Dortmund would undoubtedly be a step up in 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 terms of the challenge and, and a club, and he does have that Klopp like ability of, of, of that that ability of his former teammate and coach of being able to lift aside with his his character and his charisma. No one has quite the same charisma as Jurgen Klopp, and it's it he he's not he's not on that level, but. I still think that he has a certain aura around him that 
would would certainly suit this situation at Borussia Dortmund. <laughs> My next question for this is just what's wrong with Jaden Sancho? Um, he really hasn't been performing that well. At least he wasn't performing well under Lucien Favre. He's kicked up his form a little bit better recently, but he most definitely was not the player that Manchester United were prepared to shell out reportedly over 140 million euros for what what do you think has been the main reason why he hasn't been performing as well as we Bundesliga fans are used to last season he overperformed he he had a season which went beyond probably what he thought he was even capable of and I think that replicating that season was always going to be a difficult struggle, particularly after the amount of hype and the amount of pressure that would have been on his shoulders. Lord knows what was going on in his head with everything uh, going on around the Manchester United move. And even though Dortmund drew a line in the sand uh, early on in August, it evidently wasn't there in in Jadon Sancho's head. I think that he's not been as bad as portrayed, okay? He hadn't scored in the Bundesliga until the first game of 2021 against Wolfsburg. But I remember being at a few games this season, particularly one away at Eintracht Frankfurt, where he missed the goal very narrowly on on two occasions. And it's it's one of those where you think last season those things would have gone in for him and you could see that he was just a little bit tense and maybe overthinking things something which is more possible under a coach like Lucien Favre who is is giving you a lot of instructions in in terms and a lot of advice on on what to do and i think one of the things that Edin Terzic has has done is just got him to relax and and play his game a little bit more so I, I don't think that this is too tragic a step that has been taken. It's not even been half the season gone yet uh, so far as, as we record this. And that there's such pressure on him uh, after, say, 10 games where he's not performed to the same astronomical standards uh, as he did in previous in previous season and indeed the, the one before that as well, tells you about just how well he'd done before it's also going to be uh, it's it's a fact I think that if you're playing continually against deep lying defenses that's that's not an easy thing to do and Sancho has uh, a skill in being able to unlock defenses that ver- that I would say uh, uh, in terms of a dribbling ability I can count on one hand and a half um, if that's a good metaphor um <laughs> Uh, the, the amount of players that can really do that in the Bundesliga that there's not many who dribble as well as he do and he's the leader he, he's the lead he's he's the leading uh player to have uh, made successful passes in into the penalty area this season in the Bundesliga as well which is a statistic that I think tells you that he's still dangerous it's just things haven't things haven't maybe been on his side this season and also he's been having to cope with a lot of external pressure that is is normal it's normal for a player uh, in at his age to to go through a phase like this i think just personally i think an extra reason why people may think that sancho is not doing as well 
this season as he has in the past is because for the first time in a long time, he's had very high-level direct competition for that position. And that's not to knock on Christian Pulisic, but you saw routinely over and over again that Lucien Favre was going to pick Jin Sancho over Christian Pulisic for the right wing spot. And by all means, that's a pretty decent shout. And Pulisic leaving for Chelsea may have been the best thing that happened for his career. But now there's another American that's sitting at the right wing position that has been challenging Sancho for minutes, and that's G- Giovanni Reina. Uh, he's had a very good rookie se- like true full rookie season in the Bundesliga. And in the United States, we we have a very time-honored tradition of overhyping players way before (laughs) they are fully realized. So I'm going to be a terrible American soccer journalist that I am, and I'm going to do that right now when I ask you this question. Is Giovanni Reina potentially going to be better and bigger than Christian Pulisic? Oh, yeah. I mean, the guy's Jesus. It's it's nailed on. Um... (laughs) (laughs) No... I, I, I hold no crystal ball in my hand. He's, I, I can say that he's on the right path and has been doing, has been doing some some great things this season. His 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 link up play and his ability to find the right time to play the pass. He knows the tempo that the ball needs to uh, be played in behind for Erling Haaland. He's found him in that corridor that. Harland runs into on on his left foot very well. I think sometimes he could accelerate his play a little bit more, um, but th- that also depends on the on the kind of pass that he receives, the, the kind of impetus that's on that uh, from from the players behind him. And Rayner has shown that he's able to uh, play in between the lines very successfully. And if you are a player who that. The biggest test, as Jaden Sancho can attest to himself, is becoming a marked man and still being able to have success. That's that for me is the biggest question. That it's it, for, for for Giovanni Reina and, and his growth. It's about answering a series of questions, and the next one is: Can he replicate the kind of form he's had at the start of this season and the second half of the season? Now that there is more of an awareness of how much he can hurt you, uh, it, it was there before, but. Goals like the one he scored against Eintracht Frankfurt and and Stuttgart. These finishes are really difficult goals to score. They are not. They are not. I you'd argue that they are. They're more difficult than the the one that Jaden Sancho scored against Leipzig. I'm not sure that Giovanni Reina could score the one that uh, that uh, Jaden Sancho scored against Wolfsburg, for example. I I don't know whether he quite has that level of dribbling in his locker, but he is. He's a fantastic player, and what what I can say is that it's going to be fun to watch him to grow over the next few years. I didn't write this one down, but it just came to my mind. The prospect of Julian Brandt going off to Arsenal has been mm-hmm. floated a lot as almost every other Arsenal potential transfer ever gets floated in any transfer window with any player ever linked to Arsenal. Um, do you think that well, one, do you think that it's going to happen? And two, do you think that it would be a good move 
for Julian Brandt to get out of Germany and possibly try to refind his fantastic form from when we remember him at Leverkusen somewhere else. I don't know. I don't know if he'll go to Arsenal. My hunch would be that he will stay at Dortmund because they will want to have options should Sancho and Reyna get injured. Okay, they have Torgan Azar there already, but I think that they would want to have someone like Julian Brandt. Brandt will be a project for Edin Terzic to be working on, I'd say, I'd say in, in the coming months. And part of it is, is him not being played in, in his preferred position, I would say. Uh, that's that's been a an issue, but also he's continued the inconsistency that we saw from him a lot at Leverkusen in in previous seasons before before the final one where he worked where he linked up so well with with Kai Havertz. It's he's he's still a good player, but I think that he's he's short of confidence right now, and he needs a run in the team, and that I guess is the issue, and that is what will lend itself to the speculation. Uh, of him going to Arsenal is the fact that he's not starting many games and the Euros are coming up. So if it was a loan move, I, I could understand that. That that would maybe make a little more sense. But uh, but yeah, I, I'd be surprised if Dortmund were prepared to let him go on a permanent basis right now. Uh, I want to find one more question here on Dortmund. Um, go on then. Outside, outside of, uh, I guess, the people that we already mentioned, Sancho and Reyna, and we touched on Holland a little bit, who do you think is like the most subtly key player to this team? Like, Not somebody that would grab headlines like week in and week out like Sancho and Reyna and Holland do, uh, but someone who works in ways that are fantastic, but that stats don't always flatter, if you will. I think you've just perfectly described Rafael Guerrero there <laughs> for the impact that Perfect. that he has from from left back. He is he is exactly that kind of player. And it seems that when when he functions, so do Dortmund too. So his his ball control, his his overall technique, uh the the way that I'm pretty sure he could do anything that he wants to with the outside of that left foot of his. He, he He's a joy to watch, but a, a quiet joy to watch. He's not somebody who has the same uh, physique or body language of, of someone like Erling Haaland. So that, that as well contributes to the fact that he's not going to grab quite the same headlines. Now we're moving on to the third place team, Bayer Leverkusen. I've only got a couple of questions about them. Uh, they have a draw against RB Leipzig on their resume and a 2-1 loss to Bayern Munich. For those that have not been following Leverkusen as closely uh, this season, they know that Kai Havertz left for Chelsea. Has anyone been able to really step up and replace his production there? Or if not... How have they been able to really survive without that form from Havertz? I think the fact that Leverkusen are in third place right now tells you that they've replaced Kai Havertz well just by adjusting the system, most of all. They've gone to more of a 4-3-3 and you've seen Leon Bailey being a little bit more consistent than he has been in, in previous years, but 
I think the real emerging star of, of this team has been Florian Wirtz of 17 years of age to be able to to dribble like he can but also have have the range of passing that he has is is really quite something to behold the the overall success of this team is off uh, the the way that the ambition of of their approach how how they press and also what's played a role is been some of the goals they have scored this season have been spectacular i i can think of four or five off the top of my head such as leon bailey scoring from 30 yards against hoffenheim uh, the volley from Mitchell Weiser away at Cologne, the volley from Patrick Schick against against Bayern Munich, for example. These are all goals which are of a real high technical difficulty, and it's made them fantastic to watch uh, as as well. So that's a quality that we expect of of, of a Peter Boss side, uh, such as such as the way that he he believes football should be played in this entertaining fashion so yeah been I've been impressed and maybe a little bit surprised at how well they've been able to cope without Kai Havertz but I think that that formation shift has has helped them do that as well and it's taken a little while as well for Patrick Schick to settle into the side the fact that Lucas Alario uh, who has only started six games so at, at this point of recording and scored eight goals tells you that his his presence off the bench as well has has been something that's really helped them. So I think apart from Lucas Radetzky having a couple of moments where you think is is he the is he the best option in goal for them? Even if he he hits he just about hits the level of what of what they need at the back there. Um, the, the mistakes that he continues to make in these games against Bayern costs them at, at key moments, but. Leverkusen, I would say, are are overachieving given who they lost in the summer in Kai Havertz. I have written down again one of the best defenses in the league. Why? <laughs> and I think that that's, I think that's a fair statement to make because for a team that is allowed only fifteen goals, they do not have names that hop out at the page for you, right? You look at Dortmund, right? They got Homos and Zagadou and Guerrero, as mm-hmm. you mentioned. They've conceded 19 goals, right? Bayern will get to their shambolic defense in a little bit. They've conceded 24 goals, right? Uh, Leipzig, and we will talk about that later, but 15 goals conceded, and these are the people that have done it. Santiago Arias, their new right back, has really only made one appearance. Jonathan Ta has not always been the most consistent center back, and I think that's a fair assessment of his entire career so far. Mm-hmm. Uh, Sven Bender and Lars Bender both have been getting some running time. And then for everyone else, oh, sorry, with the exception of Edmund Topsoba, who has been very good this year with everybody else they're probably people most people haven't really heard of right alexander dragovic tin yedvai wendell daily sink graven what is it that makes this team work very well with names that don't jump off of the page which is something one might expect from a more established side like Bayer leverkusen it's part of the risk that you take by playing this kind of attacking football that is probably best is most comparable to the way that Bayern played at the end of last season at their most successful by being so aggressive with the opponent that 
if you push them as far away from your own goal as possible, it, it's from the same school of thinking of, uh, of Pep Guardiola as well that that's the way, that's the best way to, that's the best way to defend. It's not by by sitting deep and inviting your opponents onto you. You can tell how uh, how Peter Boss thinks about that by listening to what he was saying after the Werder Bremen game at the weekend, which they drew one one and. There seemed to be a certain tone of disdain in that that he was showing when talking about how Werder Bremen just parked men behind the ball for the majority of the game. So I think that that it's it's a high risk approach, and from what you'd seen from from the players that you were mentioning there, particularly Alexander Dragovic and Jonathan Tarr in in previous seasons, you you have to be brave to play the way that that Leverkusen do. But like as, as much as I cast some uh, some doubt on Lukas Radetzky's ability, he is still a good enough goalkeeper when when he is called upon for I'd say ninety percent of the season. It just so happens that, that there'll be the odd mistake uh, that there'll be the odd mistake at, at a time when you maybe don't expect it or in a big important game as as has happened against Bayern or. Uh, or when your opponents don't even have a shot against you in a game, as was the case against Bielefeld, and he scored uh, what will undoubtedly be the own goal of the season. So I think that uh, it, it sounds a bit cliche, but in, in this case, fortune has favoured the brave, and, and that is the approach that Peter Boss will continue to take. We'll move on to Leipzig now, second place. A 3-3 draw to Bayern Munich, a 3-1 loss to Borussia Dortmund in their most recent game. They faced a similar problem with Leverkusen and Havertz when Havertz's now Chelsea teammate Timo Werner left. Uh, there was a fear that their, their production might not be that good. And that's kind of held up of the top five teams. They've scored the least amount of goals with 26. And I guess the answer for their position would really be on their defense but before we get to that, who has really made up for Werner's production on this team? Well, the first name that comes to mind has to be Angelino down the left-hand side for them. He would be in anybody's team of the season right now. And I think that even though he'd, he'd shown attacking intention last season, he has been a key weapon for them. I was at Leipzig against Dortmund uh, last Saturday, and you can see with the amount of times that the, the ball is arrowed towards him, just how important a role uh, Angelino plays in 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 Julian Nagelsmann's match plan and in in, in his game plan. Even uh, match plan is, is is I think the German way that you say it. Um, but yeah, Angelino has this ability to to take things first time, as we saw against. Manchester United in the Champions League that and and hit things in such an accurate way that not many other players can do that as well. He he's just so strong all round in his game and he's he's a flair player and you'd you'd speak of, of Danny Olmo as well in similar tones. I'd say Angelino and Danny Olmo have been the real key to Leipzig performing so well going forward and it it's a testament for to Julian Nagelsmann for building that kind of flair into his side as well. Marcel Sabitzer has has done well since coming back from injury as well. He missed the first few games. But on the other hand, 
you do notice that Timo Werner isn't there. Uh, that uh, He Chan Huang uh, contracted uh, the coronavirus uh, is it's a real shame anyway. But just just from a playing point of view, he's he's been hit very hard with that. The fact that he's not started a Bundesliga game yet uh, is uh, is a real shame. But shows you that we. We don't know what could have been expected from him. Uh, probably not on Timo Werner levels immediately, anyway. But the, I'd, I'd say the biggest, the biggest disappointment in terms of the amount of money that was spent on him and and the output uh, is Alexander Zula. He got his first Bundesliga goal against Borussia Dortmund, but for the most part, he's looked a little bit lost. And whilst Julian Nagelsmann likes to have a big, tall striker in his side, we've seen that. In the past, with the way that he's used, he's used Yusuf Paulsen, Ishak Belfadil, Adam Solai, Joel Linton at Hoffenheim. He he likes to have this kind of figure, but this season has been about Julian Nagelsmann finding a different way to play as well. And at the heart of that has been that diminutive uh, Spanish. Uh, I, 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 is he a winger? Is he a wing back? He kind of plays down the whole flank. He's difficult to. To describe, but Angelino has been at, at the center of, of of their game plan now. In FIFA 21, they still have him as a left back, and I <laughs> don't think that accurately portrays the position that he really plays. Like, yes, he goes back and plays defense. He plays on the, the left. Amount of, that's, that's, he's, that's he's the a, most way. That's the most accurate way to put it. I think. I would say he's about as much of a left back as Alfonso Davies is a left back in that they both probably operate the exact same way. Mm. Let's talk about this defense. We mentioned Angelino. We have two players at center back that are almost certainly poised to leave the club after this year, but that's solely because they are fantastic in and of their own rights in Ibrahima Koinate and Dio Upimecano. Uh, and that's not even considering either Lucas Klostermann or Marcel Hastenberg doing fantastic for this team as well. Are, are like by f- names alone, I feel like they are the best defense in the league, and I don't think that I'll get a lot of debate on that. But quantifying that, right? Like, how dominant visually has this team's defense been when they go to play other teams? And that's considering the fact that they considered a, conceded a quarter of their goals for the entire season in a 3-3 draw to Bayern Munich. So, Julian Nagelsmann, when I spoke to him after the game against uh, against Borussia Dortmund at the weekend, he was keen to point out that I, I, I was talking to him about how he tried to cope with defending against Erling Haaland, and it is very much about the way that the whole team gets back and is able to organise themselves. It, it, it's not just on uh, Ibrahima Kanate and Deo Makano. Having them as your centre-backs helps, undoubtedly. I remember seeing them in a game away at Bayern uh, a, a, a year or two ago when, when Leipzig went on to lose 1-0, but... I remember the way that they dealt with Robert Lewandowski in, in that game. I don't think many Bundesliga defenses could deal with them in, in, in that same fashion. And it's gone on to it's gone on to bear fruit in, in that sense. So you can't forget either that uh, Peter Gulashi, who I think he, he goes under the radar a little bit when when it comes to conversations of who's the who who are the best goalkeepers in the league, particularly 
because you have Manuel Neuer performing his heroics as he does uh, at, at Bayern in, in that sense. But I'd, I'd say that, yeah, there's there's quite a few factors to it, but uh, that Upamecano and, and Canate can be uh, one-man cleaning up machines in, in the way that when, if, if a fast-forward is, is running at them, Jaden Sancho will struggle to do the same thing that he did to Paolo Ottavio of Wolfsburg to Dale Upamecano. I remember him being in an identical situation, in fact, uh, to that uh, to that run against Upamecano, uh, uh, to to that run against Ottavio, against Upamecano even a, a season or two ago, and uh, and Upamecano just had too much for him on a on a physical and a and a and a speed level. So I think that they've also really improved at at defending set pieces. That had been a real Achilles heel for Leipzig in, in previous seasons. Uh, it's something that had, had denied them going for the title, but they've really sharpened up their act in, in that department. That's something that I also think we can't underestimate enough or um, or highlight enough even uh, when it comes to Leipzig's excellent defensive record. And now finally we come to the team currently sitting at the top of the table, Bayern Munich. These first two questions, you can just take them rapid fire. Uh, Lewandowski is on pace to at least match Gerd Müller's record of 40 goals scored in a Bundesliga season. Do you think he's able to do it? Yes. There we go. <laughs> there we go. All right, perfect. Um, Leroy Sané has come into this team, one of the most expensive signings that Bayern has ever had, considerably down from what they could have paid for him if they just bought him in the previous summer's transfer window, or even the previous winter's transfer window. But he is not visually looked like the best player the best winger that Bayern has, and it seems like he's really having a rough go at it. Why do you think that is? He's not been... He's not been doing the things that you would expect. I, I mean, A, he's not had... He, he, he's not been starting every single week. That, that's that been denying him some rhythm. But if you're in Leroy Sane's position, you have to be justifying your position in the team. And such was the way that... Hansi Flick pulled him off uh, against Bayer Leverkusen, even after he'd come on as a substitute, I thought was a real message to him that he needed to up his game. He needs to not hang his head when, when something goes wrong and he just needs to be immediately back on it. You only have to look at the mentality that Joshua Kimmich shows that that embodies what you need to have if you're going to play this kind of uh, incessant, football that is demanded of you at Bayern. I think that he's still he's not done quite as badly as as is purported. The the transfer fee that was paid for him uh right has 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 definitely raised the expectations, but he's still continually able to cut inside and score in a way that opponents know it's going to happen, much like it was with Iron Robin, but they still can't stop. And he made a telling difference in one of the biggest games of the season away at Borussia Dortmund as well. Uh, the, the problem is is expectations and, and meeting them. And I think that, yeah, the, the biggest issue is he needs to improve his, his work off the ball. But also, if Bayern... I've, you've not seen players, maybe with the exception of Kingsley Comar, you've not seen players have all too much joy dribbling past... 
uh, opponents in, in terms of buying wingers. I, I can't really remember too many occasions that, that Sane's tried that uh, and, and been successful. So maybe maybe there's a little bit of a loss of confidence there as well. I think that accounts for it to a certain point. But I th- th- there's also this... He, he knows that he's not top dog at, at the club right now and maybe he'd expect to, he'd expect to walk, to walk into the team a lot easier than he has done but when the team's coming off winning a champions league that sets expectations up to a to a really high point for you to meet in in in, in your performance and that uh, if you look at uh, i, I it, it's not always to be taken as the golden rule here but when you see that kicker magazine have have given him an average rating of uh, 4.06 which is on a scale of 1 being the best and 6 being the worst and if you're if you're below 4 it means you're really having a bad time Th- that tells you how high the expectations are because he scored four and assisted four so far this season which is which is not a terrible record it's it's better than Serge Gnabry for example who has has actually probably been struggling more than him in 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 some regards actually so yeah, uh, it's it's difficult. It's difficult to say, but I think most of all, what what he needs to contribute more to is is his work. When, when Bayern don't have the ball. So, in speaking of when Bayern don't have the ball, that's a perfect segue to talk about how terrible the Bayern defense has been. <laughs> and I think terrible is a relative term that should be thrown out. And I think this is a good point to show that relativity what you expect from a Bayern defense is a team that will shut down any opponent that tries to attack it you think of Philip Lom you think of David Alaba two years ago or most likely last year you think of Jerome Boateng five years ago and yet for some weird reason Hansi Flick keeps rolling out the same lineup over and over again uh, with inconsistent players, or he consistently rotates the squad and puts still inconsistent players in. Nick Sula has not been having a great go at it. Um, David Alaba and Jerome Boateng look like coin flip, where if you flip one side, you might get a halfway decent performance, and if you flip the other side, you let players like... Uh, Florian Neuhaus walk to the top of the box to take a shot and curl it past Manuel Neuer. Uh, Alfonso Davies has not been as good as he was last season, though I don't think anyone coming into this season expected that out of him. And for some reason, one of the defenders that's arguably been most on form, Luca Hernandez, can't find a starting lineup spot. And that's not even considering the fact that Hansi has routinely decided that starting a slower, uh, bigger block of a defenseman in Nicolas Zula on the right-back position is better than starting Benjamin Pavard at that same position. So, you you might have better insight into this because this is just a question that I've been asking myself repeatedly and repeatedly into the void for the last five to ten weeks what is going on and what needs to change and who do you think Bayern will bring in to facilitate that change? I think, I think you've addressed a lot of the problems there uh, when, when it comes to there being 
and individual drop-in performances. Uh, you talk about David Alaba, what's been going on with his contract in the background. Uh, I, I think that uncertainty has has played a role here. Don't think it's quite the same for Jerome Boateng. He's been expecting to go for a while now, but I think that will that will actually happen in in this coming summer. But it, it it's not just about it's not just about the individuals in in the system. Whilst yes, there are mistakes being made, it comes with the territory of how Hansi Flick wants to play. And whilst you can write last season off as being a, a fantastic success, it's not like it was always going to be the case that that Bayern were going to win. If uh, your your now friend Eric Maxim Chupamoting had had put away his chance in the Champions League final then who who knows what would have happened then. Uh, and Leon had their own chances as well in, in their game against Bayern. Uh, in, in the, I think it was the semi-final, wasn't it? So, so actually, this is part of the deal that Hansi Flick plays. It is, it is playing high-risk attacking football and you need to be on it physically. To, to do that. Now, Bayern having to play uh, in, I think, a possible 35 weeks, 27 midweek games, uh, should they get to the finals of every competition that they're in, uh, it shows you quite how much is being demanded of the players and why Robert Lewandowski uh, has has had to be rested for one game even, which is not something which is in his character at all in the Bundesliga anyway, particularly when he's on course to make history. But yeah, um, there's there's certainly been there's certainly been a drop in performances from players like Alfonso Davies. I can't understand why Luca Hernandez is not uh, being played ahead of him right now, given his form. And when Bunasar is given a four year deal, and you see the performances or, or the level that he's been playing on, there you would ask a question of Hasan Salihamidzic, uh, particularly with with maybe getting the Serginio Des deal over the line and why he chose Barcelona uh, over them. I understand that they had an option to sign Ridley Baku. That also doesn't look very good right now, given the way that he's been performing for Wolfsburg. But but Bayern are still top of the league and they're, they're still very much in, in luxury problem territory. When you're scoring over three goals a game, uh, it means that you don't have to worry about, about your defensive uh, uh, problems as much but I, I guess what's most worrying from the perspective of Bayern fans is that there have been all these defensive problems and yet it could be so much worse had Manuel Neuer not pulled off some of the amazing saves that he has done this season and has returned to the kind of form that helped Germany to win the World Cup so you, you also have to remember that even when Germany won the World Cup they were giving up chances Again, this is and Hansi Flick was part of that setup as well. That was that was part of the risks that that you take that that you rely on having as good a goalkeeper as Manuel Neuer. You can only play this kind of football if you have the kind of goalkeeper that that Bayern have. I think that one what if if you want to know the characteristics of Manuel Neuer this season, then look at the fact that I'm pretty sure he's into double figures for the amount of headers that he's made. No other goalkeeper can can get close to him on that. So. It's a it's a really complex situation at the back. It's it's not as simple, I think, as just a couple of players underperforming. There's there's lots to it, um, but 
it's going to be, I think, look, regardless of it, I can't see anyone maintaining a consistency to beat Bayern Munich to the title this season, just because Bayern score too many. And I think, I think though, that problems could come for them in the latter rounds of the Champions Thank League. Thank you for saying Bunasar, by the way, because... For a minute, I forgot that he even existed. I would, I would prefer <laughs> Alvaro Odriozola right now on a one on a half year loan than having Bunasar in this in this team. And I guess all of this kind of leads to the final question, and it's really the most important question. Around this time last year, Bayern were not in the top of the table, but they had a decent amount of momentum behind them after. They fired Niko Kovac. Uh, today, going into match day 16, Bayern are at the top of the table. But the difference between first place and fourth place is five points. And I think that despite the last three seasons being incredibly close seasons in terms of the title race, I think this one might be the most competitive solely because, unlike the other seasons, Bayern has a glaring weak spot. And it's been worse. It's been a more glaring weak spot than others have been, right? Last year, you could say the weak spot was not having nearly enough wingers, but that's not necessarily a weak spot when you have Serge Gnabry and Kingsley Coman having career seasons. But Mm -hmm. it all kind of wraps up with this, right? Leipzig don't score a lot of goals, but they don't concede a lot of goals either, right? Dortmund and Leipzig, or sorry, Dortmund and Leverkusen have a similar situation where they concede few goals, but they score not at the rate of Bayern, but they definitely score a good amount. Do you think any of the teams in two through four can catch up or overtake Bayern and finally end their run of dominance in the Bundesliga. You say finally, isn't this a Bayern podcast? <laughs> I say here's 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 my here's my stance on this, right? And I've said this repeatedly before on the podcast, right? I like to tell people that I found Bayern through the German national team. I watched uh-huh. the German national team before I watched Bayern, and I like to tell people that if Thomas Müller started for Borussia Mönchengladbach, I'd be a Mönchengladbach fan more than anything else. Okay. And I've asked a number of people in the Bayern community, and despite the fact that we always love to win titles, right? I love to see the success of the Bundesliga, and I really think the only way that people stop calling this league a farmer's league is if somebody's really there to challenge Bayern's dominance, right? Over the last 20 years, like, really some of the best times for this league being dominant was when Jurgen Klopp was in charge of Borussia Dortmund and we had the 2013 Champions League final and they kept challenging Bayern at every single turn. And I know that I might be getting roasted in the comments or on Twitter for even making this point, but I'd be fine seeing somebody that isn't Bayern winning the Bundesliga because it would mean that the league would become more competitive. And for you at ESPN, it would probably drive up your ratings. But my point my point is this. I love seeing the league being competitive. And as much as I would love to keep going toe-in-toe with Juventus to have the most league titles won record, I'm... I'd be personally fine seeing another team win. So do you think that that is possible to happen this year? 
In short, no, because I can't <laughs> see any any team behind them having the necessary consistency. And that, prior to the results away at Borussia Mönchengladbach, Bayern had gone on a 20-game unbeaten run in all competitions, despite playing badly for most of that. To me, it, it speaks of, okay, there are problems to be solved there, but what happens when when they are able to sort them out to an extent? And uh, I, I just don't think that Dortmund can put together a run where they're five points better than Bayern in the second half of the season, particularly the way that Bayern can are traditionally stronger in the second half of the season than they are uh, in, in the Hinrunde in the first half of the season. And as as I think, I think Leipzig have the ability to run them closer. Intrigued to see what an impact uh, Dominic Soboslai can make at the club now. But in short, I still see Manuel Neuer lifting the Meisterschale come May. Yeah, I mean that's probably about right. Well, that will wrap up this very long but nevertheless important episode, Archie. Thank you very much for your time uh, and joining us and coming on and doing this show. All good, Jake. Thank you very much for having me. Absolutely. You can find Archie on Twitter at ArchieRT1. You can find me on Twitter at Jefferson Fenner. And be sure to like, rate, share, subscribe, and download us anywhere you get your quality audio content. And until next time, we will see you all later. Auf Wiedersehen.